Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Creative Insider Podcast number 101 with me, Georgi Leshtarsky. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about BIM strategy, BIM methodology, what is BIM, how you can implement it in your architectural project, what is the stage at which you should start thinking about it. And in order to do that, we have on the Italian architect and Italian expert in the field, the BIM strategist Riccardo Piazzai. He works at the Danish famous office Schmidt Hammarlassen. Um, they are also a very big international office, very renowned, very awarded. So I think we can trust this expertise. I want to remind you that you can also watch the video version of this podcast, though there is a certain part we couldn't record because of the technical issues, which means I didn't press the record button for the video. And um, yeah, it would be super cool if you go to YouTube and subscribe to our channel, that would uh, help a lot. And um, drop us a line because we're thinking of making live shows for exclusive members of our community so um, check in the options comment in youtube or comment in um, spotify if you want to drop us a line and tell if you'll be interested in it or drop us a line on instagram linkedin you'll find all the links in the description of this podcast but enough chatting on my side um, i want to wish you a pleasant journey a pleasant conversation with ricardo piazzai Enjoy the conversation and have a good week. Bye-bye. The whole world stops just like that. Hello, Ricardo. Welcome to the Creative Insider Podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation. It's really nice to be to be part of uh, this amazing uh, activity you are doing so far. Keep going. Oh, thank you very much, Ricardo. Uh, I was um, I was very surprised and impressed by your uh, social media presence. I don't know if we can start calling it like this way. And uh, I noticed you're, um, this is something that you are combining pretty well digital communication and, uh, and architecture in a way that it's not so, it's more like fresh, startup-y, techy. And not so. Oh, thanks. Not, thanks. That's a compliment for me. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's usually all the um, uh, most. I don't know. I want to. Okay. I think that a lot of the pages that are about architecture um, are a little douchey <laughs> and a little always oh, this. Uh, Expe especially the the ones that uh, talk about building information modeling. It's super boring. <laughs> Uh, in my opinion, <laughs> I know only yours. I know only yours, but I know all the other okay. that do architectural photography or architectural project with the white uh, frame, with the minimal picture, with the black and white, with the serif um, font. And uh, I'm like, okay, this is not for me. I like something more smart. And then I noticed your account. And so you can you can explain briefly what exactly you do, who you are, and uh, yeah, what yes. is what uh, is your passion? Well, 
I'm I'm an architect. I'm an architect and um, an Italian architect. But now I'm actually in Copenhagen. I'm working for uh, Schmidt and Larsen, and today is part of Perkins and, and Will Group. But on a side, like on, on my own, uh, I usually do consulting and uh, training, teaching, beam implementation in uh, small firms um, or people that are just freelancing and want to to know more about building information modeling. And uh, yes, basically recently I started this um, activity online where I'm trying to to build what I call um, an intellectual uh, digital uh, capital about building information modeling to to share and learn and like uh, involve more people uh, to what actually building information modeling is. And uh, and yes, I'm learning a lot. Actually, not just uh, giving, but uh, also taking from from this activity. It's uh, is going quite good so far. Yeah, I like it a lot, and uh, it's very fresh. Um, of course, we'll be adding all the links to the description of the podcast so that people that are willing to go check your account and um, and to see more and learn more about BIM, they will be able to do it. Uh, but I always like to discover the background of, of the guests because I don't know personally 90% of the people that participate on the podcast. And I always say this, it happens that there are a lot of Italians, but I think it's just because there are a lot of Ita- Italians around the world in design <laughs> and in architecture. Yeah, so it's not because I look for you guys. It's just what... <laughs> yeah, we, we are quite few also here in the office, actually. So it's totally true. That's nice. And um, I'm curious, why, why did you decided to why did you decide to become an architect? What was the reason? A lot of people say because maybe they have a family member already in the field, maybe they were just uh, playing Lego. <laughs> I don't know what was the case for you. Uh, well, I don't actually know. Uh, I it's super difficult. When when I was in the high school, uh, I was really a bad student until like the third year and then uh, actually something happened i don't know what <laughs> don't ask me i i don't know but uh, until there i was actually into just uh, football and uh, and that's it that was my life uh, and then i start to be curious about so many things politics social issue history technology softwares and art and uh, and beauty and uh, elegance whatever you want um, and actually to be honest the school i was doing was a technical school not uh, not a classical school and was strongly related to, to architecture uh, so i think that at the end architecture was uh, combining all these new uh, things that i was uh, looking for because architecture basically touch many different things not just uh, not just buildings uh, and also, in addition to that, uh, I believe that maybe in, in, in a background, the fact that my grandfather uh, owned uh, a, a construction company uh, somehow influenced me during the years. I was always listening a story about uh, what was happening in the construction site, architects, engineer, and... Uh, and was really uh, romantic for me because uh, my grandfather did not have any academic uh, background. He just went like from from nothing to Rome and then started doing this, learning by experience. So it's, uh, uh, I think, 
that also was uh, was one of the reasons. And then, I mean, when you start doing architecture, if you love it, you keep going and, uh, and the love was there. I don't know. I think um, as a side observer to the Italian culture and the northern culture, like in Germany or Denmark, probably, I don't know, I've, I've never lived there. But um, Italians are powered by passion and and the passion it's very powerful driving uh, uh driving power but um and in the in the um, northern culture it's more organization it's powered by organization and i think it's uh so funny that at the end you in both way you can achieve uh excellent results in the in the and it's so uh, so this is why i think in italy you have these spikes of excellence and not so good average level and uh, in northern you have maybe a higher average level average uh, level yeah yeah um, that makes sense makes sense good observation that's that's my observation and when you told me about your grand granddad i could imagine uh, how there are a lot of passionate people in italy about what they do and their craft and um what was what was your background in 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 education also uh did you study only in Italy did you go abroad what was your um... uh, yes i mean actually i did not follow uh, the traditional path like uh, university and then uh, bachelor master internship and then uh, and then work i i did kind of a mix of those uh, things i graduated at the bachelor in rome la sapienza and I think uh, two main events must be uh, like uh, said to to really understand my path. The first one was that in the second years, I was doing uh, the design unit with with a professor that was uh, one of the biggest experts, I guess, of uh, Japanese architecture. And with him, I had the chance to do a workshop with uh, Kengo Kuma. Who who is and, that professor? Uh, Can you say the name or? Uh, Leon Espita. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, not a secret. <laughs> and uh, yes, uh, so I had the chance to do this this workshop, and I fell in love with uh, Japanese architecture, with uh, the master of the architecture, with uh, Kengo Kuma uh, at first, but then in general with Japanese architecture. And uh, after that, uh, at the during during my graduation, I won an exchange student program to go to Japan. And I spent some time there in Sendai, where I have done my final thesis with, uh, with Ari Garashi. It's, it's a critic of, uh, of architecture uh, there in Japan. And then actually I, I stay a little bit longer on my, on my own because I have the, the possibility to stay in touch as a researcher with, uh, with Kengo Kuma, Fumi Komaki, um, Momo Yokajima and, and others. It was really, really... Uh, important i think for 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 the architect that i am now and then i went back to italy i graduate and i did not want uh, actually uh, go right away to the to the master i wanted to do some experience and in rome um, because because of a friends uh, i start to be interested in this building information modeling i thought that actually was uh, a powerful tool to find a job later. I didn't know actually the value behind building information modeling at that time. It was more something that I, I think it's important to know, right? You know, 
so I went to, to this uh, uh, office that it's uh, actually not an architectural office, it's a BIM consulting, and uh, I start to move my first steps in, in building information modeling. I learned a lot. I think that was actually an experience that uh, bring me here to, to what I'm, I'm, I'm doing now. But uh, it was a, a really short experience because I wanted to try something more uh, abroad. And one of the countries that always fascinated me was, uh, was, uh, was Denmark. So I, uh, I sent many applications uh, to find a place to do an internship. And I got um, an answer from North Architects, which is a medium, uh, small size company here, here in Denmark. Uh, and here uh, I got my second love after after Japan that was the Scandinavian design so I I, I decided uh, after the internship to to find another place and I think uh, North Architects actually opened many doors here uh, because uh, compared to the first time that I applied for the internship I got like m many answer many positive answer uh, but because of the interview that I had with the operational manager I came here in Eschmitam Larsen, that was really, really nice, and uh, now I can say that was the right choice. Uh, but after the internship, uh, I wanted a job, but with, 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 without the master's degree, it wasn't really easy to find a job here in, in this kind of office, so I came back to Italy, but this time in Turin, uh, where I, I actually studied my master's degree in the Polytechnic of Turin. Uh, but then uh, COVID uh, starts and the pandemic period starts, so moving back here in Denmark was not possible. So I found a job in uh, in uh, in Italy, and I moved to Milan, where I worked for uh, Mario Cucinella uh, for some times. Uh, and then, like the situation uh, got better, and uh, here in Denmark I was still in contact with a few people, and uh, and in the end I came out here. Uh, where everything starts, I would say. Well, that's, uh, I mean, a remarkable CV, a CV that speaks for itself. So, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty impressed. I'm not going to lie. It's, uh, it's understandable uh, that you've Thank been you. very successful at the um, different applications. And um, I was um, telling you also in our pre-conversation that for me, somebody that gets a job at the high-end Italian office uh, for me, it speaks even furthermore because I know how hard it is and how competitive the environment there it is. Um, but we, we, I mean, you, you, you said that you have listened a little bit of the podcast too, and we have had already people that come from big offices, from big also the BIM, one of the BIM experts and computational design experts there. Uh, but the focus on the the conversation was never uh, BIM. And um, always BIM, like for the people who maybe are not architects and are listening, stands for um, Building Information Modeling or Model. And um, it's there is a lot of misconception that it's just building a 3D model. Uh, it's actually you build like a digital twin of the actual building in the... Um, in the best case scenario, if I'm not if I'm not wrong, right? That that's a specific thing, a specific yeah, uh, thing that you can get a digital thing. But yes, but of course, I'm not an expert of BIM either. I know more or less what it is, as most of the architects that think they know what is BIM. So uh, 
let's start with this. What exactly is BIM? What exactly for you is BIM methodology? Because some people think BIM is Revit or Archicad or something specific. So if you could bring a little bit of clarity in the conversation about I will BIM. Try. I will try. I will try. I hope uh, uh, the guru of the industry will not be mad after this podcast with me. But basically, building information modeling is the foundation of the digital mm, transformation in the IEC industry. And uh, it's it's not a software, as you were saying. It's a process. It's the process of creating and managing information for a project. And uh, that's possible, uh, as you were saying, uh, correct, uh, through a shared model, shared model that lives in a cloud platform and where you can uh, create, store, and take uh, information. But those information are multidisciplinary data coming from all the... Uh, the disciplines of uh, of the IEC industry, um, and you can do you can you can use those to build this digital representation of the physical asset for the whole life of of a building from the design, construction, operation, and uh, and demolition. Um, so of course it's it's a huge uh, shift compared uh, like uh, the traditional method that we were using to design buildings um, well and it's also a huge topic I focus when I, when I talk about beam beam implementation or beam strategy I'm focused from the architect standpoint and even more from like uh, I try to push a lot the the message that beam is not something detached from uh, the concept phase or from the design intent and it's not something that you add after or after that you conceive your building is a process so you should like use the methodology from the beginning to the end and it's not a limit for the creativity so uh, in, in many places I experienced this uh, feeling from a very specific typology of, of architects that uh, building information modeling was a limitation for creativity or uh, uh, was, I don't know, they they were not really into into this, but not because they they actually experienced what it is. It was more, I think, uh, misinformation. Uh, but I actually think that it's it's not a choice anymore. We, we have to embrace uh, this digital transformation and use building information modeling to design um, and to do architecture for many reasons, for sustainability, because it's cost effective, for, I mean, I, I can make a list, but uh, yeah, basic, basically this is what uh, uh, what is building information modeling, is still to be. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting, as you said also that, I mean, when people will go and see maybe your Instagram account or your websites or any platform where you, you speak about this topic, you always stress um, the topic that BIM integrated together with design in the design process what is um, so basically normally as you said the tradition is that in an office there is a person or a team that do competitions or feasibility studies or whatever they will use uh, rather Rhino or SketchUp 
or AutoCAD, <laughs> whatever, and they will do their nice presentations and their nice models. And then there is the moment where the people that are the clients say yes or no. And if they say yes, these messy models come to the <laughs> real deal people <laughs> that don't do design and not only design, they do everything. And they will try to figure out how to make the outcome of this first stage in, into you, a, yeah. You, you describe the situation really, really well. Really, really well. Yeah, and I'm this is the, what I'm fighting for. And I, this is what I'm fighting for. I'm, I'm, the, I'm in the business too. So, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so you, get, uh, you get the model and you're like, these, these, these idiots, they didn't do the stairs uh, and, uh, <laughs> large no, enough. No. I mean, I mean it's, not, it's not really like that because I I'm, I'm actually work in both sides. I mean, I'm sometimes <laughs> doing concept and sometime uh, in the project development but that's uh, that's not the point the point is that uh, i mean many firms actually already try to merge those two things and but well i i really believe it's is necessary and it's uh, even because when you work as you were describing in uh, with rhino and you do your model and uh, you are not really focusing on 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 that on information. So the product that you are you are designing your your design cannot be hundred uh, percent correct under the sustainability standpoint, cost standpoint, and and those are things that you cannot take in consideration at the later stage anymore. I think we should push everything a little bit early. Uh, it's it's a little bit costly. Uh, we should uh, train uh, like the concept department in a different way. We should do a mind sh uh, shift in approaching uh, a concept stage. But I think it's necessary because otherwise, uh, when we, I mean, it's useless to speak about sustainability later on. It's uh, it's far away, and what you deliver as a concept, uh, maybe the project change many many times because value engineer face, because uh, you are over budget, because, uh, I mean, everything could happen, right? So uh, I, I think we have the tools to to merge those two words that sometimes are separated. And uh, yeah. Well, then I would ask you, like I described you, what is the status quo? What is the current situation or what is the current situation? And what I have experienced or what maybe it's still the majority of situations yeah. that you have. Let's say I say, okay, Ricardo, I'm agreeing with you. Teach <laughs> oh me, teach me about this BIM stuff. I want to implement this in my process early on. How should it look? Diff what is the new description of this process? In, in Well, I mean, I, I believe, I believe that to be honest, uh, it's not just using uh, BIM tools. Uh, I think real innovation uh, happen when different tools actually are bringing contribution to the to the project, to the process, in relationship with the task that you have to accomplish. So, if if you are using Rhino chairs to achieve a specific uh, job, because it's it's actually the correct tools compare Rhino uh, compare uh, to Revit. Sorry, that's that's fine. But I think that uh, like the project management, even in the early stage, should be 
bring at the beginning. So, for example, the model itself, that at the end, it's what uh, contain the information, right? Like in the middle information modeling, the real value is in the information to then um, approach a good data management, uh, a good um, information management. So if everything exists in the project, in, in the model, we should move everything in the early design stage in terms of management. I'm not talking about the shape of the building. If you are more comfortable in doing your design in Rhino, I mean, today there are so many tools of interoperability, Rhino inside, whatever it is, um, or maybe you have to do just a specific um, crazy shape or something that you cannot doing, you cannot do directly in a native Beam environment. And so you want to use a, a, a better software to achieve that, that's fine. But the management of the project should be uh, done in a Beam platform from the beginning, I think. And, uh, and, and this is going to be much more easy for the de project development uh, to to deal with with uh, something that's more realistic, you know, and uh, even the final result is going to be more sustainable somehow, because it's it's not just an assumption, you know, it's not just a static or just uh, I don't know the sun path or uh, we are we we should bring more information, a little bit more detail in the beginning, and I don't think it's a limitation for the creativity because uh, if you are I mean, if you are doing really the crazy design at the beginning, but then it's going to lose a lot during the process because it's, uh, I don't know, over budget or uh, doesn't respect specific requirements. Uh, I think, uh, I think uh, that's, that's the approach that I'm pushing for, basically. So currently, like, let's, let's discuss the point of the, like, B, it's the building, what you're going to design. Um, and sorry, sorry, I, I couldn't hear. So the letter B is the building. So this is, of course, what is the goal of our work. And the one, the second letter is I, which stands for information. And as you said, like in the early stage of the design, information is not always the most crucial aspect. Or uh, as you said, it's not the main. There is not so much detail in the information. So. M in the current stage of of reality is that but that's that's also sorry sorry i don't want to interrupt that's also some somehow normal i mean uh yeah, 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 yeah. in a competition say you you don't have that information yet but okay go on no 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 but you have the information you but you already because you already use information in a project which it's about the building so you have at least uh, surfaces volumes uh uh, f surfaces per function, um, uh, floor plan efficiency compared to services. Um, yeah, they, those are the main data that you can uh, uh, you can that in the traditional standpoint of the 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 workflow. I've seen you used by my colleagues or what my colleagues used, and of course they have a little bit of this background view of what is going to come next or what is the sun position or whatever, the geographical area. But <laughs> let's say the main point is that you, your client is asking for a certain amount of uh, building space and you have to generate that in a pleasant way. What would be 
um, as I said, we don't have a lot of information in the beginning, but what could be some information that we can bring into the algorithm of design in the we tried we, we can try to bring in in the earlier stages to improve the um, project management efficiency, so to say. Well, but uh, I think what I'm trying to say is strongly related to the concept of data-driven design somehow. You know, like uh, um, when, when, when we are doing a competition, we should, I think, uh, even if it's an assumption, but should be a control assumption, you know, you should be uh, doing something or making specific decision because specific information that translate in outputs. So uh, you can compare options, you can um, decide in advance what what is going to happen in the later stage. You can predict somehow because you have value to read, you have data to read. And in the traditional way, this is not the case. This is not the case. We are taking consideration a different aspect of the design uh, that I think they are crucial and they should be always in the process, of course, of course, but I don't know. I would say I would say that we should use building information model, even even for the pro, for the process standpoint of uh, of the authoring software itself. It's uh, it's more productive and efficient in the workday of an architect. I, I would say it would uh, cost less uh, work for uh, for us in terms of timing consuming. Um, because of the smart way of uh, of uh, the operational in, in modeling, um, but yes, I would I would say that we should we should totally uh, bring those new information, uh, reading the information while you are taking decision. That's that's the point. Mm. That, uh, because the information that you are bringing to the to the project, I mean, you are designing the project, right? So it's it's your input, but you can read to input, evaluate, and have an output. And that's what we are lacking at uh, without uh, without having building information modeling, but just with uh, an old CAD to D three D based approach. So basically, you're saying, well, the first advantage is that if you integrate the tools that are making that are useful for you in the early stage in the tools that are for the later stage, so to be operational. Um, in example, if you start modeling in Rhino, but you integrate the Rhino model into with Rhino inside into Revit, um, at least at least you will have already uh, yeah, generated because... floor plans, generated elevation. So on one side, you already have the advantage that, for example, it will be less time consuming for your workers. Like to make it plain well, that, that's, simple. That's of course. That's of course. That's uh, that's a, a, one of the uh, important aspect of comparing two tools like that. But I mean, uh, I, I think more to the relationship between this stage and the advanced stage of the project, where you were speaking about I don't know programs, uh, stats, and area schedules. It should be really fluid the path from one stage to another i mean should be really connected and i think right now it's disconnected it's uh, uh monitoring those information it's it's less easy 
like uh, from one stage to another without losing information because you have I don't know seven different file work session in one into another and uh, uh, I don't know that's that that's my feeling and then you type everything into Excel and you do it manually <laughs> um, yeah that's the case but um, are the tools reliable like can we trust like there is also a problem that like you know a lot of uh, people don't trust yet so much the precision of the technology because there are a lot of bugs also for example like let's take for example playing the to monitor how the shape of your projects changed for example the surface of the rooms uh, in an ideal world you have everything somehow connected and into the automatic calculation of your BIM software uh, but are the BIM software that advanced to do that seeming se seamlessly? Yes, yes, I would say I would say that uh, that they are. Uh, what what probably is missing is an advanced uh, understanding of of many of those software in build the information inside the model because there is not an only an only way it's strongly related to programming sometimes uh, doing this parametric um, uh, architecture is not always easy uh, so sometimes it's much more easy to control maybe in rhino for many uh, because it's I don't know, what we used to do and uh, it's much more easy to create a specific shape uh, we use semantic actually to to do that. That you can do the same that you were described uh, in a, in in our CAD environment. But I think they are reliable. I think they are reliable. It's just that the amount of time and training that you need to 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 manage those tools it's it's a lot. To be honest, it's uh, it's not uh, quite easy. So basically, it would be um, time-consuming to learn how to deal with the BIM methodology, but after you have spent this initial time on getting used to the workflow, you will save a lot of time instead of spending well, time on boring yes. operations. Yes, that's that's absolutely, but also depends what you are doing in the project. I mean, uh, BIM tools are everything it could be the revit or our kickout as a software of authoring or i don't know navis works or solibri for model checking class detection or like management beam 364 coordination i mean uh, there are plenty of, uh, of of software and usually you don't do all of those tasks like uh, maybe you are doing modeling or uh, coordination or uh, or specific activities, so you don't actually need to learn all those BIM software, let's say. Uh, but in terms of modeling, in terms of inform the model, uh, try to preserve the design intent, uh, try to understand what could happen and the implication um, if something happened in the later stage of the project that you were not expecting, uh, it's 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 difficult. It's tricky. It's tricky. Um, I mean, to make a comparison, uh, when when you work in uh, in Rhino, when I work in Rhino, there are a few things that you care about, like uh, work session blocks, uh, semantic. We use I mean a, a few different things, but I have the feeling that 
everybody can join job in that model if you know the project and like boolean extrusion like uh, th this kind of uh, of trick in a BIM model is not easy like that because there are constraint parameters if you do something uh, something pop out say no you cannot do that you cannot do that and uh, you you are getting maybe i don't know thousands of warnings because there is something that it's not working as you were approaching so you need kind of a strategy to to approach the model in approaching well because those data that you are putting inside the model are used to do data management are, are using to to go through all the stages of the project so it's a, it's, it's a crucial part uh, you mentioned many times this semantic or semantics what exactly is that well uh, basically we here we have like a, a very good and uh, uh, in-house department that is the is called digital practice and uh, and we have like plugin softwares and uh, programming doing in house to like help the the job of architects during during the days and basically it's uh, semantic it's it's kind of parametric uh, input that you can use in rhino to control specific things like uh, stats, for example, or area calculation, or or this kind of, of thing that uh, are not native. Uh, if you are not using Grasshopper, like uh, yeah, it's it's like uh, an easy way of looking at Grasshopper. Let's say in built in in Rhino shares. That's uh, I mean, uh, digital innovation and technology is strongly related to the size of company and the resources, and uh, even even when we. When I do uh, consulting to to small offices, uh, it's relative the use of the BIM methodology because maybe your consultants are not actually working in a BIM environment, or maybe mm. the drawing that you receive are are in CAD, or maybe I mean that's that's why I think that BIM it's right now it's not just it's it's not just BIM or using BIM tools. You can have also the forms of of inputs. It's the reality. It's uh, uh, the only model, uh, just one model is a myth. There are many, many models actually. No, and this is what exactly I was saying, that the Nordic culture is to have this organization. So, for example, optimization every time, optimize, invest into optimization. Italian culture generally is okay. We love the project. We want to make something beautiful. We're just going to put all the extra hours that are needed to make it happen. And it's going to be unique. And um, you are combining passion for uh, for uh, um, implementation of this um, efficiency. So it's it's a very 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 cool and very powerful combination of yours. Um, you mentioned you do this build BIM consultancy. So on the side, uh, what exactly and how exactly do you consult um, people with BIM? Well, uh, starting from the basic, uh, it's uh, it's softwares. Like, uh, of course, start with uh, usually Revit because it's what I what I used. Uh, but not just that. What I'm trying to do uh, with small offices uh, is is uh, is try to let them understand the value behind Beam, like uh, why they should start to implement in a small scale being even just internally the value of the workflow that you can get and the benefits that you can get from beam technologies softwares and and stuff uh, the value that you have behind the process itself because it's sustainable because it's uh, 
because you you reduce time and and and, and cost and and all these things and uh, i try to merge them together like uh, sometimes it's some someone that is doing uh, mip and sometimes it's someone that is doing actual architecture so i link them together because to to have an efficient uh, workflow and BIM system, you need different disciplines doing this and to, to make what actually BIM is, it's an integrated process, right? So, uh, okay, you are doing this in-house, it's, it's, it's cool, it works, you, you get your benefits, but I'm trying to link those people together uh, and I'm trying to like follow the path at the beginning uh, to to set a structure and a strategy to what are the first step of the implementation, where you should start, where you should not start, uh, what could happen if a specific problem came and, uh, and stuff like this. Mm. So it goes from training for students uh, or, or, or young architects. Of course, there must be people with, uh, I don't know, less experience than me. And at the same time, I learn from, uh, from who is more uh, experienced than me as well. I mean, you always learn something from someone. That's an endless process. Um, um, but is it, in your opinion, like one curiosity that I have is that, is for example, Beam, you, you mentioned more small pro of offices or young architects. Isn't it Beam mm, useful at a certain scale also of a project? Because... I mean, let's say you're a small office or a solopreneur that makes mainly small family houses for people. And I mean, you probably won't be working with so uh, many huge engineering offices. Uh, if you do the bidding and, and uh, procurement, you will be doing some small stuff that you can still basically... Um, manage somehow manually or if you're some i don't know grasshopper gig or somebody like that and with a little bit of excel skills you can do it still quite well is it is there a certain do you think that it's going to take over every single building or it's only it only makes sense after a certain certain scale well i mean of course, the program and the scale of the building and the complexity of the building uh, has a, have a huge impact of if in the decision making of approaching with a BIM methodology or not, like specific programs. I don't know, I can take an airport or an hospital, of course, uh, must be done with BIM methodology. Actually, the brief of a competition of those programs require BIM methodology from the competition already. Uh, but even if it's residential or, or tower, uh, like in a huge scale, it's uh, I, I of course makes sense. Uh, I think actually the problem is uh, the cost and the time that you need to acquire uh, a, a good structure and all the knowledge for working in BIM. If you are doing just houses, it's, uh, it's really a huge investment for maybe less in return. Uh, so from from that point of view, you are right. It's uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, always uh, a good a good case, but in general, I think it's going to to take all the kind of building typologies and and size. Uh, I think the benefits are are 
a lot and uh, and this is going to be the future I think uh, okay. even because the new generation of architects I think who is, who is coming out from school uh, is much more familiar with uh, with this concept of uh, building information modeling data driven design computational design uh, and I think it's going to be the, the new normality at some point you know there are not more people that uh, should do this or this but they do building information modeling as a Normality. Like they are doing architecture, and they are doing architecture with this methodology. And that's it. Yeah, I don't remember who said like uh, the future is here. It's just not equally distributed, so it's not that <laughs> everybody is using it already. Um, but uh, so that, let's say you, you stress a lot the point of uh, that it should be integrated as soon as possible into the design process because it's enhanced it instead of limiting it, and the other point that you also already mentioned is that it will be very important for sustainability in sustainability in actual terms of like less co2 <laughs> get put being uh, um, less co2 emissions so why how is bim so much impactful on on that point of the project on that well, uh, I think mainly for two reasons. The first one is because of the technology and the tools of BIM itself, like analysis that you can run and the control of the information through the those software that you can run that uh, have a lot of output that you can evaluate and making decision like with um, information related. Uh, and secondly, is the process itself that is actually sustainable? It's the process itself because usually, uh, and this is something that is actually happening even with building information modeling because there was an adaptation of building information modeling, but not the mindset shift in approaching uh, a design process. That's what I think. But the reality is that projects are often in delay compared to the schedule, are often over budget, are often uh, like people, client gives priority to the economic aspect more than ecology or uh, or diversity or, or social interaction, whatever it is. And I think that if you bring more detail and information and you design through those information and you control them and, and, and you do an integrated process with all the discipline, all these aspects are not going to do... Sorry. Um, no, 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 go ahead. Um, all, the, all these aspects are not going to be lost during the process, which means that, you know, uh, we, we, we should totally uh, bring those things in, in, at the beginning of the project. Yeah, I, I, I work for one big company that it's in a mix of engineers, architects, and all together. And also one aspect, I mean, they were the company was pretty advanced on the use of BIM, of course, because everybody were working more or less in the same software, and then we could easily check the software. And we were like already structure engineering and architects were within the same environment, and uh, um, and then we could easily bring in all the um, all the engineering like electric electrical or 
um, air conditioning and stuff. Um, and one topic also was that you can reduce a lot the wasting of material with BIM, like the actual BIM, uh, like actual material on the on the construction site. And one goal was to make a digital digital construction site. Do you think in the future it will be possible that we don't send any more like so many plans, but also the workers will have some sort of iPad or where it's not possible? Yeah, to yeah, but this is this is actually a reality. Of course, it's not. Uh, it's already a reality. It's not uh, super yeah. common everywhere because it's uh, it's cost also like uh, to have those uh, those tools. But it's happening. I think it's going to be the future. Of course, it's going to be the future. Is it true that you can control? Because of the, uh, it's always uh, that the same point, like the value of information, like how much data is important. And that's why you can reduce uh, material and control every single aspect in the construction site, from the security standpoint to the uh, wall assembly, whatever it is. But um, but yes, yes, I, I, here in Denmark is actually common to see people in construction side with the iPad and uh, uh, looking at the virtual reality and augmented reality. Yeah, that will be that will be freaky. And also, like I think uh, in the future, we'll have like also the 3D printed buildings or like robots a lot involved into the construction. So yeah. basically, you send <laughs> you send the file to the machines and they start printing. Have you seen Have you seen the video that Norman Foster just released about the hospital of the future? No, uh, but uh, take, take I've, seen, I've seen I've um, seen. Uh, <laughs> one of my former guests, um, Eric De Broche, the comp, he's like the founder of Luxicon. They do visualizations. He made a meme of Norman Foster while he was he took a picture that Norman Foster posted on uh, <laughs> on Instagram where he was basically coloring <laughs> a three D model that was <laughs> printed out of the computer. <laughs> And he made fun of him, and after that, Norman Foster is not so legit to me. Uh, but no, yeah, I know that um, they they do a lot of this advanced futuristic um, projects. But um, what I, I what I know uh, it's that I've been to when I was a student. I visited um, Stuttgart, I think Institute of Design. It's called or whatever the university of stuttgart they do they have this specific department for computational design and they're famous of building the pavilions every year or every two years they're pavilions out of carbon fiber and they're inspired by some natural shape or some animal or something like that and they had one pavilion that was simulating a bridge you know, it was a super huge, and it was made just pure of this um, carbon fiber um, needs, so to say. And we went there, and the, they showed that the concept was that you can build bridge with drones, right? So the drone will pull the strings, and it will. And so we were like, okay, guys, so did you manage to do it with the with the drones and stuff? Said, well, we did, but. The drones were going out of battery every 15 minutes. We didn't have enough drones. So at the end of the day, <laughs> we kind of did a little bit with the drones and then we did it manually. And um, yeah, so I think that from 
from this from that point of view i don't know i have the feeling we are not there with the some of the technology yet that maybe people think we're so much further no, of course it's going to take a lot it's going to take a lot especially because we are uh, we're developing new new technologies for our industry is always looking uh, and maybe it's also what make the the wheel uh, keep rolling he's uh, always focusing on the, in the industry of the future and not on the on what we already have yeah so it's difficult to... and another aspect for example what uh, nobody can see when they write down uh, this is going to be a zero emission building and i say okay but it's not zero because you have to build the materials you have to transport them on the construction site on the construction site you have all the machinery right, that's, that's a good point that's a good point because like why uh, in relationship with the question of before why beam is also bringing a contribution to the sustainable point, uh, point of view it's right for this aspect because if you can control the information for the whole uh, life cycle of a building from the raw material to the disposal to go through construction and operational uh, like it's it's not uh, a random uh, like uh, market of operation all disconnected between between them you you can control monitoring and take decision and, uh, and it's cost saving and uh, of course has an impact yeah that's true but um i i mean i'm uh, very pro um for me sustainability is very important and i think that sustainability should be started uh, should be implemented with the f first it should be done through the easiest little things that you can do to make things more sustainable and there are some really small things that could be done just by designing buildings in a different way um, i'll make the example if we were building more mixed typology instead of building more i don't know just purely one type of building we will make more beautiful cities more livable cities and we won't be in the need of using a car so much uh, and if we design so there there are so many things that are within the design not even in the construction that could be changed and they will have a huge impact of course, um, of course. and then um the supply chains of the we are noticing just now in this period of time where first there was COVID, now there is this war at least here in Europe, but I guess on a global scale also in China there is the lockdown, and we see how uh, until now we weren't so aware because you just go to the shop, you get something, you just order something from Amazon, it arrives today tomorrow, and now we have these disrupted supply chains, and we see how. Um, interconnected the world is and globalize it so i don't know you want to make a metal cladding facade for your building and you think i don't know in germany there is metal so it's fine but the metal actually comes from china so <laughs> so it's yeah, it doesn't make so much sense that's that it's very yeah i think that it, this kind of decision making it's not always uh it's very difficult to evaluate nowadays isn't it yeah absolutely absolutely it makes a lot of sense i would say also 
not I mean of course design the, the design uh, is fundamental to get sustainability but sometimes uh, clients uh, should change uh, like priorities to get sustainability because if you always prioritize uh, economical return uh, sometimes maybe it could be difficult I mean with a good design you could get both but you know like just sometimes following the desire of a client uh, doesn't always match with the sustainability concepts. Well, um, but this is a cultural change. I think that is taking some time, but it's, uh, it's actually happening. It's uh, it's a process, of course. And uh, um, but um, what would you suggest for people that are not so? Let's say, so you have a lot of. Um, you have we have gone through your CV and uh, your background and and in your also personal interest into the topic of BIM and um, how do you think could we improve? What are the best way to improve our BIM skills? Because I don't think university is the best place because it's too early for like. It's too, it's way too different than the real world situation of architecture. So, how have you built up your practical skills? Have you gone to classes? Have you gone to I don't know workshops to expositions? Have you always asked yeah. your employer to give you the task about BIM? <laughs> well, uh, first I would say that. Uh, that's true. University is not a good place right now, but I, I would not say that it's too soon to start. It's just that it's the wrong approach because right now in the universities, uh, BIM uh, is, if you are lucky, just one class in uh, five years. And very often it's just a class of, of Revit, like they teach, uh, they teach how to use Revit uh, and really the basic of BIM, but it's not apply uh, of a project. You could have easily, I don't know, kind of a simulation of a beam process in a design unit, if you want. Uh, but that's not the case. Uh, anyway, mm, I think, of course, softwares are important. And usually people start from, I don't know, the authoring software, Revit, uh, Archicad, depends for the inclination of the country where you live, what uh, the market is asking for. Uh, but I would say that it's really, really important not just to start with a software, but to really to understand uh, all the, fa the phases and the stage and the responsibility that you could have as a BIM person. Because then in the reality, when you are working in a, in a company, you are going to face so many different challenges that the use of a software is not probably enough. Uh, but then also depends from your inclination and what uh, what you would like to do because basically information modeling is just the evolution of of the the process of developing a building. Though if you are more uh, doing coordination, so there are specific tools, and if you are more uh, like the designing, you should use use other tools. Uh, I learned uh, starting from from Revit to 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 mention something. And I actually proposed myself uh, for free in Italy at the beginning 
in a in a company to because just because I wanted to learn. Then actually wasn't the case. I was uh, really well treated and uh, actually then start a collaboration. But uh, just because I understood that it was important, I proposed myself to to this company, and I start from them. From there, it was a really huge project where I actually was not learning just the software itself. I was looking and watching uh, all the processes behind it, and like uh, the project manager was uh, uh, dealing with specific uh, situation, how he was managing the team, uh, how like all this reality uh, inside a beam uh, a beam workflow was was working, and then. Uh, a lot of input from internet, from communities, from people more uh, expert than me that are giving uh, a lot of uh, good feedback online. By experience, by experience, uh, I think it's the huge part of the real world. Like by experience in uh, in architectural practices that were actually using BIM, I was really lucky also to be involved in uh, in project of specific size with consultants that are working in uh, in with beam methodology as well so it was not just something internally okay let's do the uh, the adoption of beam let's use this couple of software and uh, and that's it no i i, I think I, I learned the proper way because i was lucky to be in specific environment uh, but this is i think what what people should do like uh, start from the basic understand what they want to do, specific activity in, in, in the practical aspect, the design, coordination, managing, whatever it's, uh, is the priority for them. And, and from there, like uh, step by step. No, uh, that sounds a very, very logical way. Um, you have a big, you have had a big uh, touch with um, Japanese culture and Japanese architecture, um, which somehow in the spirit it's similar to the Scandinavian one I think because it's maybe a different interpretation of the same spirit let's say it's always very clean very minimal and so on I would say the yeah. the look yeah. it's different of course but the I think the spirit is similar and how is there do you know how is there with that in that part of the world with BIM um, because they're, I don't know, J Japanese architecture and Japanese culture in general gives me this feeling of uh, the connection. They're so high tech, but also so high uh, <laughs> low tech, or so to say. <laughs> they're like uh, very connected to technology, but also very connected to spirituality and to, I don't know, different aspects. Is there also a very big thing to use uh, this methodology, if you know something? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, uh, when I was there, uh, I was not really into the BIM world yet. Uh, I was more doing competition or things. Um, so I didn't experience directly this, uh, this uh, BIM situation or the, how the digital aspect of architecture was, uh, was going. But because of some friends, I know that it's it's kind of the same of here in Europe or in the United States. It's it's a big deal. It's uh, I think huge company, of course, advanced technology, advanced tools to to put in practice. Compare uh, local and small firms. Maybe of course in Tokyo is much more common than like in in, in the, uh, the suburbs. 
but um, but yet yes i think it's uh, it's kind of the same that that here even if there is still the split here that we were saying at the beginning of the conversation like from concept to the then all the project development phase uh, it's a little bit split i think i see um I have to ask you again to rejoin the meeting because unfortunately Zoom has changed the situation, but this is going to be the last one, I promise. Thank you. Sorry. I think we've covered more or less everything from the the standpoint of view of the conversation. Um, And um, what kind of... um, you, You... you talk about yeah you you consider yourself like a, a beam strategist too so you through your knowledge and through all these aspects that we've discussed um, you are not only hands on but you're also about this implementation on the process so um, how do you help uh, what exactly is your hands on approach when you consult people and help them do a beam strategy uh what is your do you like approach them by saying okay let's see what is your situation at the office what is your projects and see what kind of beam elements make sense for you or what is the beam strategy you set up yeah first uh, usually there is kind of an analysis of uh, the actual state of uh, of the office i mean usually it's a small office so there is a um a really basic um, structure, but I usually see how they work and uh, in what they are focusing more, in what kind of projects, scales, and with tools, what what tools they are already using. Mm. Usually, it's 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 kind of fundamental that um, to to do a good BIM implementation, uh, it should go top down. So like the management and the people in charge, partners are really understanding the value and investing on it and not just uh, selecting selected people inside the company uh, because it's not going to work uh, usually. Um, but then after, after this first phase of analysis and understanding how much the company is going to invest on, on it and depends from the, let's say, the tools that they have is start the training part that it's the software like uh, it's it's so it's, it's in the, the, usually the training part is divided in softwares so all the skills that you need to develop your physical your digital model and how to inform and uh, a, a beam class that is usually about building information modeling in general the value the processes, the figure involved on it, uh, how, uh, what is different compared what they used to do uh, with the new methodology, um, and in the end we we try to do a let's say a case, uh, a real case scenario with with uh, a real project that they are, they are dealing with. So, starting like from from the reality, uh, I mean. That's that's more or less the path uh, that that I follow with uh, with with those offices. And how long does usually this process last? And are you doing this alone, or do you have also do you collaborate with other people that also help you? Because I can imagine it's also a lot of work. 
Yeah, no, I mean, this is, was uh, more uh, an activity I was doing in Italy uh, when I was uh, more free, this uh, consulting thing. It's not something that, uh, I mean, I'm still doing, but is like in, in a small scale, in a small scale, it's not uh, in presence. Uh, it was before, it was not, uh, but I had friends. I had friends that were, because in Italy we were freelancer. Uh, we, we didn't have a... Um, contract uh, as uh, I have here uh, so I I could manage my time differently and between some me and a few colleagues we we were doing this oh I understand um, no it sounds super interesting and I think it it's very interesting the path that you have had towards your passion and I think the journey it's it's very interesting and you uh, you have managed to do so much already. So um, I, ca I can tell you from my personal point of view, I'm, I'm very impressed with, with your background and uh, with how this uh, curve went uh, really <laughs> up. Um, I try to end every episode on a very positive note of an inspirational note. So I wanted to I ask every guest if they can share uh, if there is everybody has some some situations where they're a little bit low on morale they're in a rut they have something going on they need to go back on track to get a little bit inspired so if you have some book or movie music podcast uh, place i don't know sport every the, people mention different things you you can mention whatever you want you don't have to check all the the points, but if there is something that comes up out of uh, out of your mind that uh, that you that inspires you, uh, well, uh, yes, there are many things, um, but not. It's I don't want to say that I'm inspired by a TV series or Netflix or, or things like that. But when I feel that I have to disconnect, uh, I usually spend times with uh, with friends and with families. And I love uh, cook and uh, and have good wine, as a, as a good Italian, I guess. Uh, so I, I I think when when I'm not really feeling uh, so comfortable with something, I try to disconnect it to enjoy uh, like uh, aspect of life that maybe are not related with work or uh, or with a career or with a path, a specific path. I I try to totally to disconnect, recharge, and then. Uh, and then restart. But uh, I'm more uh, inspired from the people that I have around me than uh, something uh, that it's a book or a, or a film. Oh, that sounds great. I think this is... Uh, um, it's always f uh, f uh, funny for me because I've asked this question to 90% of the people that have been on the podcast. And it's uh, sometimes they repeat themselves or they just say a book. And I mean... It's nice, but it's so nice when I hear something uh, new. And I think you're the first person that says it's inspired by family and friends, which is uh, a very beautiful idea. Uh, well, Ricardo, thank you very much for taking the time to, to record this uh, conversation with me. I hope to see you soon in life in Copenhagen. Yes, please. Um, please. I will wait for you. We'll stay in touch and uh, we will put it on record too. 
So <laughs> hope to meet you soon. And um, again, you can say where people can find out more about you online and where to get in touch with you. Uh, yeah, I mean, through my social media, my LinkedIn page, um, that's, uh, that's it. Like Instagram and LinkedIn mainly are the two platforms that are using more uh, to share something about building information modeling. I'll be putting all the, the links in the, um, the description and uh, we can make a special thread on our um, Discord where we can share more about BIM. Uh, so guys, check also the link to the Discord of TCI where, uh, Ricardo, I think you're already in there. I think I saw you. So Yeah, yeah, subscribe, <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice. Okay, thank you very much and uh, have a good evening. Thanks. Hey there, thank you very much for listening to this podcast and you have made it so far. Don't forget to follow all our content on Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube where you'll be able to see some videos and a full video podcast. And also don't forget to subscribe to our monthly newsletter so that you can get everything about the Creative Insider and the latest news from the podcast. Just check the links below and thank you very much for listening again. Bye bye and have a good week.